You're listening to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast. For more information, check out our website at www.shorelinecc.com. And good morning again. Take your Bibles. Today we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, focusing on verses 1 and 2, the verses that say so much about our Christian faith and how we live it out. Today we're wrapping up a little short series that we've called How to Live a Generous Life. On week one, we focus on God's generosity through grace. Everyone say grace. grace. That always makes me hungry. So we're focusing on God's grace, how God has poured into us. We don't deserve it. We couldn't earn it. It's just his gift from God. Grace is the open door that says, welcome home, welcome home, come back. And then last week, we talked about generous giving, about how as believers, followers of Christ, giving reveals our perspective on who God is and who we are. As recipients of God's grace, how when when we engage in giving, what that does to us. It reveals whether we view ourselves as guests with the body of Christ or whether we view ourselves as family members, helping, engaging, being strategic partners. So that was last week. Today, we're focusing on the goal of this because the goal of all this for, for, for God, for our lives, is transformation. I want to say transformation. Transformation, not transformers, the cartoon I grew up with. But this is transformation in our lives. And we all love math. How many love math? You enjoy math problems, right? Yeah, these are, these are the future tutors here, okay? I thank God for math tutors. But we love equations. So this is what it looks like. Grace plus giving equals transformation. God's grace in us, alive in us, this gift that opens the door. And then giving as we give, as we surrender our lives to Christ. The result for this is transformation. And this is what the Apostle Paul is talking about. So let's look at this. Romans chapter 12, and I'd like to invite you to read along with me. And this is from the ESV version. Would you read with me? Let's read this together. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So today as we look at this transformative work of God in our life, we're going to be focusing on three things, right? Three things. So first of all, we're going to look at how transformation is the goal. That's number one. That's the goal God has for us. But number two, importantly, transformation requires sacrifice. That's the tough part. But thirdly, we come down to how transformation, it enables us to come alive. So transformation is the goal, but transformation requires sacrifice. But it's transformation in our life that enables us to come alive. How many of you are ready to come alive today? Your prayer is like, Lord, let there be life in me. Transform me. If that's your prayer, just lift your hands to the Lord as we pray together. Lord, your servants are standing before you today saying, speak, Lord, your servants are listening. Speak to our hearts. Transform us today so that we may come alive in you. Do your work in us as we fulfill your mission and your call for our lives, only made possible by your transformative work. And everyone said together, amen, amen. So first of all, transformation, this is the goal. 
See, transformation, what we need to realize is transformation is about God really giving back to us what we have traded in. When God made us, he made us in his image, the Imago Dei, and he made us perfect, lacking nothing. Back, way back in the Garden of Eden, this is what God did. But along the way, we made a bad trade. How many of you ever made a bad trade? Right? Yeah. Man, oh man, how many bad trades have I made? Except when I traded my single life for married life with Stephanie. That was an upgrade for me. But a lot of other things along the way, that was pretty good, wasn't I? Yeah. But along the way, I've, I've made some bad trades in my life where I've had everything that I needed, but I've given it away. See, we were already made in his image, but Satan came along and he promised something. Be very careful when Satan promises you something because he rarely delivers on it. He's a liar. He's a father of lies. But what did he do? He, he sowed discontent in Adam and Eve's heart. What did he say? He said, you can be more like God. What you're doing is good, but there's something else out there for you. He tried to lure them in, make them content. You'll be able to know what good and what evil is. See, this was the trade, luring them in, making them discontent. How many of you have ever seen that a lot of the mistakes in your life have often begun with discontentment in your heart, right? That's why the Apostle Paul says, I've learned to be content in every situation, Because so many times, not always, but so many times, being discontent can bring greed in our lives and make us to kind of be looking across the fence and going, man, the grass seems greener over there. It doesn't matter that it's over a septic tank, but it seems greener, okay? It's all about saying, God, what do you have for me? And so so Satan, he lured them in. But we need to realize that sin has a price. The Bible tells us that sin has its pleasure for a season, but it has a price. And sometimes we may not even see the bill or we ignore the bill, but the cost is still there. And there's a payday that comes. And unfortunately, because of this, we become a life that accumulates debt as a result of trading in the goodness of God for what seems to be better. And this debt is what keeps us from living. If you've ever experienced this, you know that there's no weight like debt in our life, is there? That idea that there's something out there that's just weighing me down. It affects every decision. It affects so many things that I wish I could do, but I can't do because I have this debt. This is what sin does to us. This is how sin traps us. But this is where God comes in with his grace, and he transforms us. This is the exciting part. God comes in, and he transforms us. See, transformation is evidence that we have, first of all, we've given, we've surrendered our life to God, And now we've received God's grace to us, and now we are debt-free. How many say debt-free? Isn't that awesome? It's God's work in us, his transformative work, that grace that we talked about in week one. We've been made new, because what does God do? God makes all things new. He makes all things new. See, transformation is the sign of a surrendered life. And surrender is a very important word because surrender is a prerequisite to the transformation. Surrender is a prerequisite. I love how Lee Strobel puts it. He puts it up what? Believe plus receive equals become. Believe. Believing in the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And surrendering and receiving it. This is a transformative work. This is the gospel story. 
Because see, following Christ, it requires that we are transformed. Our old life can't follow Christ. Being a Christian is not about holding on to your old life. It's about surrendering because the old life can't do it. There's no way that it can sustain it. See, without transformation, we are claiming to have a life that we really don't have. We're falsifying our identity. Have you ever seen that? Somebody who tried to pretend something that they weren't? This happens in American Idol every year. People get up and say, I'm the next American Idol. I can sing. And then unfortunately they get up and we realize that, you know, singing is not the path for you. Simon Cowell doesn't say it that way. When we pretend to be something that we're not, it hurts everybody involved. Especially as it relates to Christianity. This is why claiming Christ without surrender and being transformed, it hurts everybody. And the first person that it hurts is yourself. Jesus did this with the Pharisees, didn't he? He warned them. He warned them because he warned them of the hurt that was happening. With the Pharisees, he said, you're like whitewashed tombs. You look good on the outside. Everything looks great. Your Facebook page looks amazing. But on the inside, this is what Jesus said. He said, but you are filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, you look like righteous people. But inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. See, when you pretend to be something that you're not, saying you're a Christian, but you haven't surrendered, you just want to look good, you've not allowed the Lord to work in that, it's actually destroying you. It's destroying you. But not only that, we know that it's also destructive to the community that's around us. I love how Dallas Willard puts it. Dallas Willard says it this way. He says, The modern negative critique of Christianity arose in the first place because the church, that's all of us, was not faithful to its message. It failed to take human transformation seriously. It hurts community. How many of you have ever been hurt by that? I have. I have a family that's been hurt by that. People that professed one thing, but they lived a totally different way. Now, I'm not talking about perfection. I think very few of us expect perfection. Am I perfect? The answer is no. Okay. Are you perfect? No. Same answer. Okay. But we're talking about this trajectory. A surrendered life being transformed by God. It hurts everyone around us. See, we need to understand and be reminded of the truth that our beliefs are defined not by what we say, but by what we do. Right? Don't just tell me that you love me, because love only means something if it's backed up, doesn't it? Love only means something if it's backed up, if there's evidence there. That's why James said that faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. The works show that it's faith. We're not saved by faith, but when there's faith alive in us, the works are there. There's things growing. There's things that are happening. Because, see, when we have just faith without works, that's not a faith. That's just an opinion. Do you need more opinions in your life? (laughs) No. Right? One of the greatest things, you know, I'm on Twitter and I like Twitter, but one of my greatest discoveries this past week was that Farside has a Twitter account. How many Farside fans we got out there? So in all the opinions, all of a sudden you see a cow and a duck talking to each other, and it just makes everything okay. 
It's just opinions. See, there's a big difference. See, when we're talking about opinions, the Lord is bringing us to this belief, that belief that we're talking about. See, we can't settle for right opinions because opinions come and go. Sometimes we have an opinion, but it's a wrong opinion. Have you been there? And then you try to delete that tweet. Don't you wish you could do that sometimes? Opinions can easily change because opinions become informed, hopefully, over time, and then it comes around. But a belief is solid. A belief is something that we are willing to die for. People have given their life. Jesus died for us, but along the way, we've seen apostles. We've seen men and women of God that have said, this I believe, this I stand for, this I put my faith in. Everything I do is for the Lord. This is what we believe in. But in order to behave in this way, it requires transformation. The Lord is there to transform our life. But the challenge is that transformation takes sacrifice. Transformation takes sacrifice. This is what Paul said in the very first verse here. He says, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, see, when you read the Bible you quickly see that that word sacrifice is worship language, isn't it? Remember back to the Old Testament? When they talked about sacrifice, they were talking about temple worship. Because worshiping meant that you brought in an animal to be sacrificed for your sin. There were typically two types of sacrifice. There was the blood sacrifice where it came in and it atoned for your sin. And then there was the whole offering where the entire animal was consumed as a sign of your dedication to God and to cover any other sins that you didn't even know about or didn't realize. This is what worship looked like. Because, see, worship is about surrendering and giving. It's about giving the worth to whom it's due. Whatever you worship, you become, because whatever you worship, you bow to. And you say, you are greater That's why the psalmist warned us that whatever you worship, you become like because you've bowed your life to it. Whether it's worshiping God or whether it's worshiping money or anything else in your life, relationships, status, whatever you bow to, whatever you give yourself over to, that's what we become. That's why it's so important that we only worship the Lord. And that's why the Apostle Paul is here as he's talking about sacrifice, recognizing that worship, it requires sacrifice, and sacrifice requires death. He says that we are now called to become a living sacrifice. Imagine the hearers on that day, a living sacrifice. How can you sacrifice and still be alive? Here's how. Tim Keller commenting on this, he says, to be a living sacrifice is to be fully at God's disposal It means actively to be willing to obey God in anything he says in any area of your life. And passively, it means that you are willing to thank God for everything that he sends into your life. See, being a living sacrifice is saying, God, I'm available. Just like we said earlier, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And when I hear you, I'm going to go out and do it. It's a living sacrifice. I'm sacrificing myself. I'm giving over my plans, my agenda, because I want to be transformed. That's the active part of it. The passive part of it is that everything that comes into your life that the Lord brings in, you're saying, thank you, Lord, for this. And sometimes that's good and easy, but have you ever had something brought into your life and you're like, God, is this from you? (laughs) Do you give this kind of stuff? 
Why is this happening to me? Anybody ever have that going on in their life? Why is this happening? Why are these things happening in my life? I don't understand. See, being a living sacrifice, it recognizes that when we surrender our life to God, He's in control, He's in charge. And we echo these words in Galatians where it says what? It says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. And the life I now live in this flesh, I live by faith. I'm crucified by Christ. I'm crucified in Christ. It's no longer I who live, but the life I now live in this flesh, in this body, I live by faith. For the Son of God who loves me and gave his life for me. We are crucified by Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life we live now is by faith. It's coming alive. See, we die in order to live. The old life, it destroys us. It is bound by debt. But the new transformed life through Jesus Christ, it sets us free. He pays the debt. This is that transformative work. But it takes sacrifice. And that's the hard part. How many of you enjoy sacrifice in your life? I think sometimes it helps us to think, when we think about sacrifice and this being a living sacrifice, to think about the athlete's and the artists amongst us. See, when an athlete or a musician is training, they're not thinking about just the hard work. Their goal is not the sacrifices that they make. Their goal is not just to eat well and exercise well. Or growing up, having had a lot of piano lessons that my mom pulled me off the streets from playing street hockey from to go to, I wasn't dreaming about just being able to play scales someday or play the arpeggios or learning all those things. What they dream of is they think about that end goal, that the athlete thinks about being able to effortlessly just put the ball in the hoop. Or as a soccer friend of mine said this morning, put the onion in the gunny sack. Did I say that right? Right? That's putting the soccer ball in the net. They dream about that effortlessness that comes through sacrifice. They dream about being able to hear music in their head and just being able to play it effortlessly. Like Bill Evans, as he heard it, he just played it. But there was a lot of sacrifice that went into that. A lot of scales, a lot of alone time. Because this is what sacrifice does. It enables us to have that freedom. It enables us to have that freedom. Because, see, without sacrifice, we are just tourists of Christianity instead of citizens. See, what what do tourists do? See, when tourists come in, they give nothing to the place that they visit. They're just there to see it and to enjoy it. And if anything goes wrong in the place that's going on, that represents nothing more to them than just a minor inconvenience. So they just go on to the next place that can offer something to them. That's what tourists do, right? And there's times that we're tourists, we go to places. But citizens, when something is going on, when there's a challenge, citizens should rally and say, this is my place, this is my home, this is my family. We need to fix this. We need to make this right. We need to rally ourselves as citizens. We're not tourists. We are citizens of the family of God, of the kingdom of God. This is who God has called us to be. 
This is why sacrifice is so important, because as citizens of the kingdoms of God, we are willing to sacrifice everything for the kingdom of God. This is what missionaries do. They say it's about the kingdom of God. I'm going to sacrifice everything. And it's no less right here in Shoreline or Seattle. We sacrifice everything as citizens of heaven, saying, I want the world to know about God. I want the world to know about his love. I want to be transformed so that his life is flowing through me that they see the transformed work and go, there's no way Dwayne could do that. There must be something else. God must be alive in it. And see, sacrifice, it reveals your citizenship. It reveals who owns you. It reveals what you're about. It reveals what you're about. See, this is what Paul is saying. See, Paul is saying that that worship, that sacrifice, being a living sacrifice, it's not only necessary, but Paul even takes it one step further and even says that it's even, it's logical. That worship is logical. It makes sense. In the King James Version, it says reasonable service. How many King James Version people we got out there, right? In that translation, it says reasonable service, which comes from the Greek word logikos which means logic. He's saying it makes sense. It's the logical thing to do. When we realize who we were without God, indebted sinners, doing it on our own, failing on our own, and all that God gives to us, his grace, his mercy that he pours into us as we surrender our lives to him, it makes sense. Doesn't it make sense to you? Imagine all the debt that you have in your life. And that someone comes along and they want to pour grace and say, I, I just want to pay it off. Would you be saying amen? <laughs> Would you be saying, the Lord has heard my prayer? This is what God has done for us. He's poured his grace in our life. And Paul is saying, when you think about everything, the grace and the mercy, and when he says, therefore, pointing back to the previous chapters, everything that he laid out, he said, this makes sense. He's saying that sacrifice is the practical and the logical application of all the theology that I just spent 11 chapters laying out. It makes sense. This is our response. Sacrifice, that living sacrifice, is the logical response. It's the right response. It's the good response. But we need to recognize that sacrifice hurts. Sacrifice hurts. Have you ever sacrificed something and it hurt? right? Maybe every time your kid comes up to you and you give money out and it hurts a little bit, right? <laughs> Sacrifice, it hurts. Have you ever associated with this guy up here? Just leaned over and he's just rubbing his eyes and going, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? And see, this is the battle because we don't like pain. And I think as it relates to Christianity especially, sometimes this surprises us a little bit. Sometimes we get a little bit surprised because we hear about the grace of God. We hear about how he covers our sin. And we hear about the goodness. But then we hear about sacrifice. Sacrifice. And this is where many people walked away from Jesus sad. This is where many people said, you know what? I was good till you said sacrifice but I think I'll just keep carrying my debt. Thank you very much. See, this is often the deciding factor. One of my favorites, Eugene Peterson, he says it this way. 
from one of my favorite books, Long Obedience in the Same Direction. He says, it is not difficult in such a world to get a person interested in the message of the gospel. It is terrifically difficult to sustain that interest. Millions of people in our culture make decisions for Christ, but there is a dreadful attrition rate. There is a great market for religious experience in our world, but there is little enthusiasm for the patient acquisition of virtue, little inclination to sign up for a long apprenticeship. We call that what? Discipleship. See, we are in a world that is very curious spiritually. I talk to spiritually curious people all the time, and I love those conversations. But the challenge comes when we get to sacrifice, when we get to discipleship. The same thing happened back in my piano lessons, right? All these little kids, they sign them up for piano lessons, and it's awesome. I encourage you, go do it. But when do most kids start falling off? Practice. Yeah. Is that the fourth week? <laughs> the fourth week. After they realize, wait, I got to practice? And they look at it and say, it's hard. There's no way I could learn piano. What does the teacher say? Practice. Right? How do you get to Carnegie Hall? Three things. Practice, practice, practice. How do you get to Jazz Alley? Three things. Practice, practice, practice. How do you play for the Sounders? Three things. Practice, 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 and don't get hurt. Four things. That's the fourth thing. It's sacrifice. You think about the end. You think about where you're going. You think about what's happening. To not be surprised by it. See, this is the process that we are in. See, sacrifice, it may hurt, but we need to recognize that pain is important. Pain is important. Did you know that? It's pain that saved my piano fingers from being damaged when I hit the hot stove as a kid. So when I reached out and I touched that hot stove and I experienced pain, I thank God that my mom didn't come in and say, oh, that hurts? Let's try this again and then put some ointment on and say, now try touching it again. Because what would have happened? I would have touched it again, but then when the ointment quickly passed out, uh, the pain would have come back in. Now I'm worse. Like, oh, 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 let's try something else. Let's put this little thin glove over and I'll hold it on. And I put it on the hot stove for a while, but then when the glove starts burning off, I get, the, I get the pain again, and now it gets worse and worse and worse and worse. And every reiteration, because I keep trying to touch the hot stove, thinking I just need to cover the pain, everything's okay. But I missed the whole point. The whole point of the, that pain when I touched the stove is that the pain was trying to tell me, don't touch the stove. Stop touching the stove. And I think so many times we experience the pain, and the pain is trying to tell us something. And we just keep trying to cover up. We just keep trying to medicate it. Instead of trying to get to the source and say, what is going on here? See, we're not about being a culture that just medicates the pain. We don't want people to go through pain. And I understand that. I've gone through pain. I have friends. I'm praying for many of you that are going through pain. But God is about getting us to the source. What is the cure for this? And as it talks about being spiritual, God is getting right to the core. He's not about just covering up our sin. He's about forgiving our sin and letting it be gone as far as the east is from the west so that you can be free. This is the work of God in our life, not just to numb us, 
See, Jesus, he's the cure. But like every great physician, the process can be painful. And if you're working with a physician, now you know that once he or she is able to determine what that core is and they start down that path, that can be a painful journey, isn't it? But it's a journey towards healing. This is what Jesus does, the great physician in our life. He wants to find the source. He wants to find that cure. So my word to you this morning is don't give up in the process. If you're on this spiritual journey and you're experiencing pain, don't give up because healing is on the way. Jesus, he's out to heal you, and he's out to go to the core of whatever is, 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 is holding you back spiritually from him. This is the work of Jesus in us. You know, my coach used to tell me all the time when I, when I would go in and say, man, my, my legs are hurting, you know, kind of sit out. He's like, that means they're growing. That means you're getting stronger. Get back out there. Don't you love that guy? I've often found, whether it's in the arts or in any area of my life, that the greatest pain often comes right before the greatest victory. Times I've almost given up, whether it's been in relationships or in any area, the greatest opposition, the greatest amount of pain is almost right before the greatest victory. Right before my senior piano recital back in university, about a couple of months out, I got tendonitis for the first time in my hands, and I couldn't practice. And if I couldn't practice, I couldn't get ready. And if I couldn't get ready, I couldn't graduate. I was dealing with a little bit of fear in that time. But the Lord began to show me and reveal to me and talk to me during that time. Ways to practice, ways to get around it. I couldn't put my hand down to press the keys. And when you're playing Chopin, you're playing a lot of keys. But the Lord began to move and to show me other ways, ways to be mentally prepared, ways to walk through it. That even when there's pain, the Lord's going to provide a way. The Lord's going to provide a miracle. It's not always with my timing. My plan was never to get tendonitis. But the Lord took that and he worked it out to my good. This is what he does in our lives. The things that were meant to destroy us, he works to our good. And he says, look, the sacrifice, it is worth it. Don't look at the scales you're practicing. Look at where you're headed. Look at where you're going. Don't look at just what's two feet in front of you. Look at that destination where the Lord is leading you, that transformative work that he's going in. Because when he transforms you, transformation enables us to what? To come alive. Things that are transformed, they come alive. This is the work of God in us. See, transformation is defined not by death, but transformation is defined by life. When a butterfly is transformed, we don't talk about the old caterpillar it used to be. We talk about the new beautiful butterfly that's now flying around. Can you imagine how it feels to be a butterfly to look back and go, I used to be crawling down there. This is the work of God in us. It is defined not by fear. See, fear is not our motivation. When we talk about the things of Christ, fear is not the motivation because fear will eventually get tiring, it'll eventually wear out, and it's eventually gone. This is not fear tactic. That doesn't work, and it doesn't reflect the relationship that God is leading us into because God is, is what? God is love. This is a relationship he's leading us into. Fear is draining, it's exhausting. You're always hoping for a way out. When you're in a fearful relationship, you're looking for an exit door. But that's not who God is. See, we focus on what we can do, 
not what we can't do. We focus on the prize. This is what Paul talked about. I run the race. I run like an athlete. I'm looking at the prize. See, when we just try to stop doing things, that's not transformation. That's conformity. And that's what the Apostle Paul is talking about here when he talks about no longer be conformed to the things of this world. See, when you're conforming something, you have these external situations that you're coming in and you're just trying to make it be that way. You're trying to apply pressure. You're trying to be there, but it's an external force just trying to make the outside look good. But it eventually falls apart. And Paul's saying, don't be conformed by this world, but be transformed. See, transformation is holistic. It is complete. It is from the inside changing us from the inside out. This is true change. It changes our behavior. It changes our way of thinking. It changes our way of life because it's from within. We're not just trying to please each other, but we're trying to be connected to God and be transformed by him. This is what God does. It's not conformity. Have you ever walked that path where you feel like you're just trying to conform to it? And it's exhausting. It's exhausting. What Paul is saying is be a living sacrifice. Surrender to God and be transformed by the way that you think. By the way that you think. That's why from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It's like the great artists, they just sit down and they play because they've sacrificed. They've been transformed into a great piano player. Like the athlete, when you see them just effortlessly achieving their goal, they've given their life, they've sacrificed for it. They were willing to sacrifice for it. Because they focused on what they can do, not what they can't do. If you just focus on, you know, I I can't spend as much time with my friends because I've got to practice piano more. Or I can't just do this anymore because I've got to practice here. I can't do that anymore. You'll eventually give up. You'll eventually give up. And most do. But when your focus becomes on that's where I'm going, that's where God is calling me. You're willing to do whatever it takes to get there because you're not conforming. You are being transformed. You are being transformed. See, discipline is necessary, but it's all for the end goal of transformation in our life. See, transformation, this is the process. This is the process. This is that long obedience in the same direction that Eugene Peterson was talking about. He went on to say that discipleship is not perfection, but is a progression in one direction. And aren't you thankful for that? When you gave your life to Christ, were you made perfect like you never made any more mistakes? It is a step-by-step transformative process. It's that discipleship. Step-by-step-by-step. I'm walking that way. It's not about perfection because you're going to fall. I've fallen. But that transformative work means that when you fall down, God meets you there and he says, Keep going. I've got you. Keep going. You're going to fall down, but instead of falling down and falling away, you fall down and you get back on the path. Say, Lord, forgive me. Lord, help me. How many of you are praying that every day? I am. There's times I'm going along and I get discouraged. I'm experiencing some pain in my life, and I'm saying, God, why am I experiencing this pain? He's like, I'm working it out to your good. You keep trusting me in this. There are things that come in my life that I can't understand. I don't know why it's not there. But God's saying, will you follow me in this? Will you allow your work, will you allow God's work to be carried out in your life? I love how 
Hebrews 12 reads from the message version. Hebrews 12, verses 1 through, through 3 in the message says this. It says, do you see what all this means? All these pioneers who blazed the way, all these veterans cheering us on? It means we'd better get on with it, strip down, start running, and never quit. No extra spiritual fat, no parasitic sins, but keep your eyes on Jesus who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it, because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way. The cross, the shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor right alongside God. When you find yourself flagging your faith, go over that story again, item by item, that long litany of hostility that Jesus plowed through. That will shoot adrenaline into your souls. It's a transformative work of God. That Jesus denied everything. He set his face like flint towards the cross because his focus was you. Knowing the pain, experiencing the pain, the focus wasn't the pain. The focus was the, the goal. And the goal in all this transformation was what enabled Jesus to say this in John 14. Remember when Jesus says to his disciples, he looked around and he said, look, you will do even greater things than me. You will do even greater things than me. And he said this to a group that saw Jesus feed the 5,000. They saw Jesus walk on water. They saw him remove demons from the demon-possessed. They saw him heal people. They saw him bring Lazarus back to death. And he's looking at them, and he's looking at all of us, and he's saying, you will do even greater things than me. See, he didn't say that you will be greater than me. He's my God, he's my Savior. But he's saying, look, now I have made a way. The work that I've completed on the cross, I have now made a way, and I've just set it up that now you can go live that life. I want you to do greater things than this. This is just the beginning. And if we as a body of believers, we will reach out and hold on to that, we'll sacrifice ourselves, that living sacrifice, and saying, God, do that in me. What is that greater work that you've now made possible through your completed work on the cross? Greater things. I think sometimes we've given up and we no longer believe that we can do these greater things because we're focusing on ourselves. We're focusing on just the step in front of us. And Jesus is saying, surrender. Allow your life to be transformed, to be filled with your Holy Spirit, that all things are possible. Anything can be done. The Lord is calling us into a season that is already here. And he's saying, will you surrender yourself? Will you allow, will you yield your life to be transformed that whatever is happening in death and in life, I'm confident and covered by the power of your great love. Everything for you. That through me, you can do greater things because of what you have set up. He's gone before you and he's laid, he's laid it out for you. He's just saying, will you, will you pick up what I've already placed in front of you? Will you have that faith? Amen? This is the life that God is calling us to. Would you mind standing with me this morning? And as we respond to the word of God today, I feel like the Lord is speaking to you and saying, do you believe 
that I want to do greater things through you. And I want to invite you just to close your eyes just so you can focus in. I want you to hear this word today from the Lord. Do you believe that the Lord can and will do greater things through you? That's his promise. That's his word. He wrote it down. And it's important that you respond in honesty. If your response to that is, no, I don't believe it, then you need to ask the Lord to reveal to you what's going on. Where am I missing it? When I ask that question to the Lord, the Lord does an incredible work in my life because now he's getting to the source. Now he's getting down to the thing that he wants to bring healing in. He can and will and wants to do greater things, but he's first going to come in like any master craftsman. He's going to sharpen his tool and say, are you ready? Are you ready to surrender and allow me to place my hands around you to do the greater thing that I've already made the way for? This is the work of God. This is the work of God in our life. That our lives will be backed up by our pursuit of Christ. In your listening guide, there's a lot of questions that you can just kind of go through and walk through, but I believe this is the question today. And as the worship team leads, that's the question I want to invite you to take. You may want to go to one of our prayer teams as our prayer team already goes into place to pray with them. Faith without works is dead, and sometimes that work that we need to do is confession. Talking to somebody and say, you know, I'm struggling with this. I want to do it and I'm struggling. Or maybe your response today is, I've lost the want to. I don't want to do this anymore. It's too painful. Bring that honesty to God and see what he will do, how he will revolutionize your life. Well, let's take some time to respond. Go to a prayer team member. Turn to the person next to you. Pray with them. Talk with them. Respond in communion. The communion stations are open. And let your life be reminded by how Jesus was broken for you and his blood of healing was spilt for you. Or go to the prayer wall and say, God, what is that greater thing? Express that in some way today. Let's take some time to respond to the Lord today.